Hello, our listeners. It's Stephen from MPK Live. We've got podcast 229, and it's a bit of a special episode today because we will be joining Kimberly, and this is Frenchie Cannoli's partner, and we are doing a very special podcast in tribute to Frenchie for his birthday. So if you've never heard of Frenchie Cannoli before, uh, and you're pretty new to our industry, then let me give you a little bit of an insight to him. You can learn all about Frenchie Cannoli from frenchiecannoli.com. Um, when I say he was a master, that word should not be used lightly. He was a master hashish maker, traveled all around the world and was just an inspiration to the whole community. He was an amazing person and his legacy will live on forever. So Frenchie was a California-based teacher, consultant, artisan, and activist dedicated to production and appreciation of traditional cannabis concentrates. He grew up in Nice, France, but left home as soon as he could, inspired by the promise of exotic adventures. And by the imported hashish common in the late 60s, he lived nomadically for over 20 years, staying with traditional producers and learning techniques handed down over generations. And these travels took him from Morocco to Mexico, Nepal, Pakistan, India, and he spent eight growing seasons living in caves and harvesting cannabis resin with the Pavati Valley cultivators. Eventually, he settled with his family in California, where early medical access laws let him go from hiding his life's work to producing legal cannabis concentrates. During his time, Frenchy taught his lost art of the hashashin to seminars to thousands of, of aspiring concentrate makers. And an advocate of open source knowledge share and Frenchy freely demonstrated his techniques on YouTube, as well as with his 194,000 plus Instagram followers. He's also pushed for broader post-legalization public education. Beyond working to develop hashish grading standards, Frenchy was a prominent supporter of regional growing certifications for cannabis production, inspired by the Appalachian, the Origine Control E rules, like those protecting the integrity of Bordeaux wines. He was also developing a feature-length documentary, Frenchy Dreams of Hashish, with documentary filmmaker Jake Remington of Collie Bon NYC, that showcases the challenges legalization has brought to small California farms. Jake and Frenchie's wife, Kimberly, are working to complete the docu-series. Frenchie's lively personality and unique expertise made him a sought-after international speaker on topics such as cannabis terroir, the promise of organic and regenerative cultivation approaches, and the importance of independent craft production. He also wrote about the science and global history of cannabis for publications including Extraction Magazine for the USA, Skunk in Canada, Weed World in England and Dolce Vita in Italy and finished the first draft of a book on the history of cannabis concentrates that his wife is editing for publication. So that's a little bit about Frenchie Cannoli and gives you an insight into what he was about. We will be getting joined by Kimberly, his partner, um, after the break and we will delve into the life of Frenchie and it's his birthday. So we're going to celebrate his birthday, celebrate Frenchie's life and hopefully inspire more people to be able to become master cannabis concentrate makers. Firstly, 
we have to say thank you to our partners, without which we would not be able to do this podcast. So firstly, we have Canna Nutrients. You can find them canna-uk.com and on Instagram as canna.uk.official. If you need to grow in a watering system without electricity, then you will want to go and see Autopot. They're autopot.co.uk for their website. And they have Instagram autopot underscore global and autopot cultivation consultancy on Instagram. Need to beat the heat coming into the summer or just one fantastic end quality product? The Sunlight LEDs are what you need in your room. You can check them out at sunlight.com and on Instagram sunlight underscore LED and sunlight UK. If you need a perfect environment, then you need to go and check out CanFilter. They've got the website at canfilters.nl and you can follow them on Instagram at canfilters.nl and Erwin underscore canfilters. If you need to contain that environment inside a lovely tent, you you need to look no further than Budbox Grow Tents. And they are on budboxgrowtents.com and Instagram, budboxgrowtents. If you need to have HPS lighting, ceramic metal halide light lighting, and you need to get that intensity and get those pure yields, then look no further than Gavita at Gavita.com. Check them out on Instagram, Gavita International, and Gavita North America for our American listeners. Last but no means least, if you want to round up all your knowledge and get it in one lovely glossy magazine, then check out the Garden Culture magazine at gardenculturemagazine.com and their Instagram is Garden Culture Magazine. So thank you very much to all of our partners. We will have our normal intro and then we will be joined by Kimberly and we're going to dig into Frenchie Cannoli and celebrate his birthday. See you soon. All good, ready to go. Turn my voice up a little bit. Oh god, that everyone watching, the whole family. Are you ready to go? Are you going to be in the house? In the house that I built, in the booth that I built. I know people tune in every Sunday to listen, but even when business is good, we still manage to do the podcast. Welcome back, listeners. So, as we said in our intro, we've got a very special podcast for you today. Uh, we are on with Kimberly, Frenchie's wife. I'm going to be talking about Frenchie and the passion that he's left and the print that he's left on the world for his passion for cannabis and cannabis concentrates. So, today is a, a Monday. It's Monday, the 13th of December. And it is Frenchie's birthday. So this whole podcast is in tribute to Frenchie and everything that he contributed to the world of cannabis and cannabis concentrates. Kimberly, how are Excuse you doing? Excuse me, one little correction. Sorry. He was born December 13th. That's what I said, wasn't it? You said 18th. 
Did I say 18th? I've got it right here in front of me. Yeah. About 13th. <laughs> I don't know why I said 18th. So let, let's start again now. Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Welcome back. Unless if your accent confused me, I'm so sorry. If in fact, you said 13th and I misheard you. So if, if I'm making you redo this. It's all right. If, if, it, if it is my accent, uh, I'll, I'll message you because it's the Scouse accent. So uh, you, you wouldn't. <laughs> You wouldn't be the first person to be tripped up by it. Not, don't worry about it. <laughs> Let's start again anyway. It's all good. Welcome back, listeners. So we've got a really good podcast for you today, and it is in tribute to Frenchie Cannoli. And we've got Kimberly with us. It is Monday the 13th of December, and this is a tribute to Frenchie because it's his birthday. So we're going to be talking about everything that Frenchie stood for, his passion, the imprint that he's left on the world and the cannabis industry. And sort of, if you don't know Frenchie, we're, we're able to get to know him in the most personal way possible through his wife, Kimberly. Kimberly, how are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. It's my absolute pleasure. We've been wanting to do this for a while, haven't we? And it's obviously, it's hard with the time timeline. It's, uh, it's five o'clock in the afternoon here. It's nine o'clock in California, isn't it? Exactly. Um, but no, it, it is my pleasure to have you on the podcast. And we were, we've been speaking for a couple of years now, haven't we? We were speaking just before COVID. And another friend, she was writing his book and we were talking and he was about to uh, start traveling the world again to start going into the, the Afghan caves, making hash with the Afghans. And there was a lot of plans and preparations underway, and then COVID hit and sort of put it put a stop to all that, didn't it? So was he was he was he busy writing his book? So um, he really kicked into writing the book during COVID because it was kind of you know we're trapped in the house, uh, might as well be you know um, kind of make good use of it. And uh, he had been doing a lot of research up to that point, but really kicked it into overdrive and had a lot of fun looking into the history of cannabis concentrates, especially exploring almost like human primordial history. Um, and so he actually, during that time period, broke the book into three pieces. So now there's the one on the history of cannabis concentrates. There's one on do-it-yourself hash making that kind of evolved from during that same pandemic period we started more actively curating a do-it-yourself hash making group called The Lost Art of the Hashishin on Facebook, where we just answer people's questions and share Frenchie's um, books, and uh, not books, but his videos and writing about hash making. And then the third book that we started working on together was Edibles, because also, again, during the pandemic, we started playing around with different edible concoctions in our, in our boredom. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So the what I'd like to people to do is if if you listen to this podcast and you, and you sat down and you want to sort of you want some visuals to to take you along with this podcast, I'd love you to go to Instagram and type at Frenchy Cannoli. Now that would be F R E N C H Y for Frenchy and Cannoli is C A N N O L I. Now Kimberly's been running Frenchie's Instagram uh, since he unfortunately passed away. And I think you're doing an absolutely amazing job. You've got 203,000 followers and it's great that everything that he put on there to educate is being continued. So 
uh, just take my hat off for you continuing that education and continuing the the passion that he had for it. Um, they can also go to YouTube and type in Frenchie Cannoli and you can see visuals and, and videos there of Frenchie making uh, the cannabis concentrates and he's teaching you, like he says, the lost art of hashash. Um, and we've had a super interesting evolution on the YouTube page since Frenchie's passing. Um, an amazing gentleman in um, Brazil, Felipe, from Overgrow Shop, reached out to me saying he would wanted to do subtitles in Portuguese from Frenchie's. In um, his videos, there's four... There's a four-part series that was professionally done on do-it-yourself hash making that covers Frenchie's whole class on the topic. Well, Felipe took that and he translated, he put subtitles to all of that work in Portuguese. And then we threw out there to the group um, on Facebook that if anybody else wanted to help us, we would be, because he had the professional tools, we'd be happy to give them the text in English to be able to do other languages. And so far, we have video, the videos in Spanish, French, and we're going to be publishing Italian probably next week and German um, for his birthday. Um, and we also have people working on Chinese, Hebrew, and I think that, that's it for them. Oh, and Czechoslovakian. So it's been just amazing, kind of this outpouring of love and this organic continuation of his work by these volunteers that have stepped out to help make his um, do-it-yourself videos available in other languages. That's amazing. And it, it shows how global the uh, Frenchie's brand was and how much love that he had, that people want to spread the word to all their fellow countrymen in, in their own mother languages, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing because the, the, um, the first video is about an hour and a half. So there's, I think there's 165 lines of translation and some of it's a little technical and sometimes the way Frenchie thinks you have to think about it a little bit in the translation. So it's really an act of love for people to step up and do that so that people everywhere can have access to this kind of pretty simple information of how you can make your own cannabis um concentrate for therapeutic use for yourself and your family pretty much in your own kitchen. Um, and I think this is really important now as so many places are going through legalization. What we've experienced here in California is that it's a very bumpy road that the local government um, in many cases are tending to be a little aggressive on the, on the taxes, which has, you know, lowered the quality that people everywhere have come to expect from the therapeutic use of, of cannabis. And so being able to, you know, kind of control your destiny. And in most places, it's legal to grow a few plants for personal use once we do go into, you know, legalization. So that allows people to make sure that their families are continuing to get the high quality cannabis products that, that, they, that they should be able to have access to without, you know, needing to spend an exorbitant amount of money to to have this as part of their their daily health regimen and and that was that was basically frenchie's mission wasn't it is to be able to give people the the tools and knowledge that they need to be able to do it themselves which is the best because that's what you know he experienced as a young person when he was traveling all over the the world you know he's mentioned it in a couple of uh, his writings 
when he reflected back on it, how generous people had been to him everywhere when they realized his passion for the plants and how they allowed him to come and live with him and learn their, their processes and, um, you know, kind of share in uh, these traditional cultures around um, processing cannabis that have been passed on probably from time immemorial since the, the first human person touched the plant to probably gather seeds um, and their fingers got all sticky. And, you know, over time, as the resin accumulated on their, their fingers, they, they probably, you know, put it in their mouth to, to clean their hands. And then the first edible was, was invented. And, uh, you know, they experienced the kind of well-beingness, as Frenchie referred to it, of cannabis consumption. And that became, I think, probably a foundation for many different cultures that we're just not aware of uh, in terms of, uh, you know, herbal remedy. Um, because a lot of these things just weren't recorded in a way that we have access to today. Yeah, and that's, he, he was writing the book, isn't he? So we're going to get onto the book uh, a little bit later on. But because it's Frenchie's birthday, I would love to know what what would he normally be doing on his birthday? What was the, did he have something that he always did on his birthday? His birthday always falls right around an event we call the Emerald Cup here that happens in Northern California. And it's a celebration of the harvest. Um, and it's, uh, it's a huge, now it's huge. Yeah, the, the Emerald Harvest Cups is, is massive. So, oh, I think we've lost Kimberly there for a second, but the Emerald Harvest Cup is, is huge. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite jealous that he, he was able to do that for his for his birthday every year so as soon as Kimberly reconnects we'll be able to get back onto her says we'll call she's calling in from California isn't she so it's global podcast today oh and she's gone she will probably call back and there you go that is that's what you get when you when you do stuff live So you're going to have to cut all this bit out and stitch it. Sorry about that. I think I lost you. Yeah, no worries at all. No worries. We can, we can cut all that out. So it's not a problem. Um, so yet, yeah, so what well, we'll, I'll pick this up here. It's the Emerald Harvest okay. Cup. So that, so that's every year around his birthday, he'd be going to the Emerald Harvest Cup in California. It's the, the Emerald Cup, and this year they're calling it the Emerald Ball. But yeah. it's held um, in a lot of the states. There's um, fairgrounds for agricultural celebrations and 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 different things that you know the communities will do. And so the Emerald Cup is held in one of these fairgrounds. And um, traditionally, they have people who come and sell you know, memorabilia and different gear associated with the industry, but also people who um, come and bring their their product uh, for sale. And then also at the Cup, they have a competition of various different types of cannabis products. And that's been pretty traditional from the beginning. And they have um, judges who are 
industry leaders who, you know, evaluate the products and, uh, and pick some winners. And they also have music. So it's quite almost like a, a full day extravagant. Well, it's two days actually. So it's a, a weekend extravaganza. So, and it always happens that those couple of days or either the day of his, his birthday. So it was, just this big thing to go and spend the weekend and meet so many people and reconnect with so many friends. And also, you know, it's the end, it is the end of the actual harvest for the outdoor farmers here in Northern California. So it really is a huge celebration. People bring, you know, results of the harvest to share. And, um, and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, I, I hope that as time evolves, there'll be more of this kind of celebration of, the small outdoor artisanal farmers work uh, in communities all over the world. It'd be super cool to be able to follow the harvest around the planet at some point. That would be amazing. Hopefully one day we'll get to experience that in the UK as well. Um, so is it on this year? The, uh, is the Emerald uh, Cup on? Or the yes, Emerald it's on next weekend. So this, uh, it's uh, coming up this Saturday and Sunday, and they're calling it the Emerald Ball, and it's at the Sonoma County Fairgrounds. Um, so, yeah. Will you be there? Yes, because they're doing a tribute to Frenchie, and then we have so many friends who will be there that I haven't seen, you know, in two years because of all of the challenges with the pandemic. Yeah. So it'll be really nice to connect with people. Amazing. So the... Uh the first time that I got to meet Frenchie was a product there, 2019. Um, what I can say is the, for the, the presence that Frenchie has, the following, the, the, the places he's been all over the world and the respect that people have got for him. Um, my little sort of two pence for what I saw in Frenchie was that he didn't know we we were there doing the pod doing some podcasts. We had a stand with Eric from Garden Culture Magazine, um, and Eric pointed him out to me. He went that that's Frenchie, and I went, oh, get him over. Let's have a chat with him. And he was walking around. He was being people were coming over to him, and he ended up coming over. And Eric invited him over, and Eric got called away. And you, you know the type of person he was in my eyes was that he was like it was like he'd known me for for years, and he was willing to to talk for I think we were there for 45 minutes just talking about what he did and his passion for it and for for Frenchie to just to talk to me he was he, he didn't know who I was and um just to be able to give me his time when there was thousands of people at that event and talk to me like he'd know me forever that was that was really special and I'll, I'll cherish that because I was obviously talking to one of the master cannabis uh makers in in the world and just to sort of get an insight into his mind and it, to get educated by him was was phenomenal so for anyone that didn't know Frenchie or didn't get the chance to meet him can you describe him to people what what type of person was he and and what do, what did people think of him it's you know like you said he had this kind of <clears throat> love for humanity for his excuse me, fellow human that um, he could just strike up a conversation with anybody anywhere. And um, he was very one focused when, when you started talking to him and he, you know, you got engaged in a conversation, he just focused on you. And I think 
that kind of acknowledgement was really special for for people. Um, you never felt like he had somewhere else to go, or you know how sometimes when you're talking to somebody and they they kind of act initially like they want to talk to you, but then you see their eyes moving to some other part in the of the room like they want to escape somewhere. You ne- you never had that with Frenchie, so I think people were so appreciative of his sincere interest in what you were saying. And he was deeply interested in everything, not just cannabis. So he really enjoyed connecting with people and hearing their stories. And in California and other parts of the world, you know, with the suppression of um, all kinds of cannabis products, we have whole generations of young people that don't even know what hashish is and have never smoked it, haven't seen it, especially in the United States. It's like a big island here where traditionally when they kind of dealt with the cannabis plant, they used the flower and they didn't, they weren't even, you know, aware of the resin until it feels like about 20 years ago. So Frenchie almost made it his personal mission to share the the joys of hashish with everybody that he came in contact with. And it was a huge joy to find somebody who had not experienced it previously and to be able to share it with them and explain a little bit, you know, the difference between the the resin products of the plant and, and flower and just talk um, about, you know, whatever they had in common with, with regards to, to cannabis or, you know, kind of any other topic that they might uh, uh, come upon. Yeah. Um, he yeah. had a huge amount of energy and I think that's really attractive to people. And he was really giving. And I think people have said that to me over and over that that also in his kind of generosity, um, both with his decision to be open source and how he shared his educational content in putting the training videos online, you know, um, for no charge, not having, a, you know, one of these accounts where you pay a small amount of money for the, the lesson or anything like that. And his writings as well available in PDF. Um, yeah, I think that that just, you know, it just made for a lot of good connections with people. And he was basically really positive and very smiley and charming. So that touched people. That is touching. Yeah. So it's like the, uh, so it wasn't just me then. No, it was, it was everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was everyone. I mean, it was crazy. So like at the Emerald Cup, the when the first, I think, no, the second year that they went, that, you know, they have booths and normally the booths are kind of like in a big U in this um, this big room that normally they use to show because it's um, an agricultural facility to show animals and whatnot. And so they would put the booths in a U all the way around the room. And one year they did the unfortunate decision of putting the booth that Frenchie was in kind of like halfway down the U. And it created a, a roadblock to the whole mm-hmm. U were so many people waiting to to come and see Frenchie, to come and talk with with Frenchie and and uh, you know share because during that time we were allowed to to share what we had with people and so we ha- we had a dab bar set up and uh, yeah it was uh, we had to apologize to the neighbors on all sides of us because we pretty much blocked the flow the whole two days that we were there. <laughs> well, a, a product there this year, uh, so twenty twenty. The, so 2021, I'm, I'm, I've lost a year, Kimberly. It's just, the, I know, the year's just gone. Too. I think it needs to just go back to 2020, doesn't it? The um, So in 2021, Product Earth, you could 
visually see the impact that Frenchies had because on several stands there was banners with with Frenchie's face on there and just basically paying tribute to him and for and the tribute to uh-huh. um what he contributed to the to the world of cannabis so and that's the UK as well so I know he was huge in obviously France uh, America he was massive but in the UK as well he was really highly thought of and it that showed the product date when multiple people had his had his pictures up on their stand to say thank you for everything. Oh, that's that so lovely. Yeah, no, it's just been so touching. I've had people um email me photos like almost the I think from maybe a couple of days after his passing. Uh, a gentleman up north he uh sent me a photo of his forearm and he had had Frenchie's trichome head logo tattooed on his forearm. <laughs> and it was just so touching to think that somebody would alter their body that way. And then little by little, without me even posting that photo, other people started doing the same. And so then I posted it with the comment that if you know, you know, because it's almost now like this secret handshake of, you know, Frenchie's little trichome head. It's the club that we all belong to where we're celebrating high quality hashish, preferably, you know, from our perspective, grown by a farmer who's using traditional methodology outdoors, maybe, you know, really connecting with the plant in a, in a more traditional way. Um, so, yeah. And then we had one gentleman in France, he did a whole graffiti wall, um, in some train yard. Um, also amazing. And that was really lovely. Cause again, that was like, I think he started it maybe the day after his passing and he sent me photos over the course of the day as he was doing it. And the amount it took, I mean, it's huge. So it took forever. And the amount of spray cans of paint, I can only imagine. Um, but yeah, that kind of, I don't know, contributions from people who maybe didn't even personally get to meet him that much. It's, it's true. It's really touching and um, speaks to his legacy. And I think it also speaks to, this reminder that humans are communal people and that, you know, kindness goes a long way. And if there's anything from Frenchie's legacy, if that little bit of, you know, how he tried to be generous and sharing uh, touches people and helps people maybe continue to play it forward, then he will have done a really good job. Um So, yeah, it's very, I've appreciated very much um, people kind of sharing their, their love for Frenchie. So obviously with not being too personal, but when the, I remember I messaged you um, on the night that I heard just to say, I'm sorry, and I'm thinking about you and the family. How did it feel? Did it, did it help that so many people, because I would think I was, as soon as I heard, I, I, I messaged you. And you'd already said hundreds of people had already messaged as well. Did did it help to to, to receive that outpouring of love and uh, and just to receive those messages just to say uh, that we're thinking about you? Did that did that help a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I think that's really the blessing of having. I cannot imagine how hard it would to be it would be to be alone in that kind of sudden grief that is unanticipated and to have so many people say I loved him too and you know on the post that I did on Instagram I think the comments 
went over 10,000. And at some point, Instagram becomes impossible to scroll. So unfortunately, I didn't even get to see all of them because the the feed kind of blocks up at a point. And, you know, um, but yeah, it was, it was, I was surprised that the, at the impact, actually, I had, um, you know, the Economist magazine in England did an obituary um, on him. I didn't know um, that, They no. reached out. Yeah, yeah. They reached out to me and, um, you know, just confirmed some details and asked for, you know, if they could use a, a, a photograph. And then we had the New York Times um, do one here, which is, you know, that initially... When that journalist called, I was kind of like, really? Are you going to write something nice? Because I don't know if you're pro-cannabis or not. Mm-hmm. But he did, a, he did a pretty nice job, too. That's um, Yeah, it was very, very, very touching. Well, I know that there's um, some myself and our sort of media team are working with Green Queen magazine on an annual. And I know that uh, Frenchie's, because it's, it's basically a, a recap of the year. And I know that Frenchie's got... Uh, a nice big chunk in that in magazine just to say uh, as a commemoration of his of his life and the work that he's done so I know that he's going to feature heavily in that magazine and annual as well which will be I think that's out next year um but I'd love to know how you and Frenchie met so um we met in Nepal um I was 20 Frenchie was 23 um Initially, so I was having lunch in a in a little chai shop in uh, it was a, near Lake Pokhara in Nepal, and I sat kind of kitty corner from this guy at a table, and he had a little Tibetan dog on the table, and he was cutting up a steak, and I remember sitting there because back in the day, um, it was really hard to get much variety of food in Nepal. It was kind of like you ate this thing called dal bat, which was rice with dal. And I remember thinking, what the hell is this guy doing cutting up a little steak for this dog? You know, people, people you know, in my brain, it's kind of like people hardly have enough themselves to eat. Why is he feeding this dog steak? And we didn't actually end up talking at that that time because he was so focused on feeding this dog that, you know, he wasn't really accessible, but later the next day I was at a table with a couple of other travelers and a tall French guy comes up and says something, you know, some kind of pickup line along the lines of we're three travelers, you're three travelers, let's have dinner together. The other two girls, I think they were Scandinavian. They looked at, they were European. So they knew better. they looked at these guys and they were like, no thanks and headed the other way. But I ended up talking with them. And they told me that it was the tall guy's birthday the next day and they were going to have a full moon party. And they were going to make this uh, this concoction they called the majun, which was basically um, a bunch of dried fruit with a bunch of hashish, which they did not, they did not come clear on the quantity of hashish <laughs> they put in this concoction. So anyway, in my Californian naivete, I met up with these French guys and they had invited a bunch of other people. And we all sat around. They remind me that it, we started the party around noon because we were along the side of the lake. But I just remember it being around sunset. But later, when we talked about this last year, Frenchie said that they put 100 grams of charas in that majin. So wow. there's like a 24-hour. And I think maybe he's exaggerating, but not too much. 
because there was one German guy that um, he ate his share of the of the party uh, dessert and he didn't move for 24 hours. <laughs> um, but the rest of us ended up, uh, it was a full moon night, so it was absolutely stunning. Um, you know, going out, walking in the rice fields, looking for mushrooms, I vaguely remember, but I don't know why, you know, we would be doing that in uh, Nepal. But hey, like I said, it was a pretty medicated uh, dessert. And um, yeah, and so then I just ended up hanging out with them a bit. Um, they went on their way. I went on my way. And we randomly ran to each other four more times in India, in very, very different parts of India. It was crazy. That's um, and Yeah. And then so, so the last time was in Varanasi. And I was walking through the... Um, kind of the area, you know, they have lots of small shops with really narrow um, kind of pathways between the shops and a hand sticks out from one of the shops and grabs me. And again, it's his friend who has found me. And he says, the two of you need to stop meeting like this. We're going to have Frenchie's birthday, which by then was December. We had originally met in June and we're going to meet up in Ampi. So if you like, join us there. And I was like, yeah, sure, maybe I'll see how my schedule is. Mm-hmm. You know how booked you are traveling in India on your own. Yeah. And so I went I went down the day before what would have been his birthday. And I had no idea what is Ampi. It wasn't, we didn't have cell phones. There was no text message to say, hey, within this large area that is Ampi, this is where we're going to meet. I got off the train. It was around sunset, I remember. And I remember there was kind of a grove because Ampi was an area of historical temple ruins. Um, there was a grove of like bamboo plants and other, you know, kind of um, uh, vegetation. And I thought, well, I'll just go that way. And maybe the temples are that way. And now when I think of it, it's like, you know, we're going towards sunset. You don't have a clue <laughs> of where you're going or what you're doing. But I walked for about 10 minutes and I ran flat into Frenchie, you know, and he had come a day before to help set up things for his party. Um, and then the rest is kind of history. I started traveling with them. After that, we went to Southern India and, um, you know, kind of a little bit all over India. And then I took him to the Philippines to a very small island where I had been, where other tourists didn't know about at the time called Boracay, which now I think has a, uh, an airport and a five-star hotel, uh, which is mind-boggling because it was so small. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the rest was, was history. We started traveling together, and then um, I was based in Tokyo for a long time because I went to university there, and so Frenchie would go and do his stuff in uh, in India, and we would meet up and go in the winter, and, uh, yeah, 41 years later, here we are. That's an amazing story. I think, though, have you ever thought about this? I think running into somebody in India, one of the like the most densely populated countries in the world, I think uh, Frenchie might have been stalking you. I think that wasn't a coincidence. I think he's seen <laughs> you, and it's he said it's a coincidence. No, but I, I think, think it. Now he was so focused on what he was doing. I don't think he was that calculated. I think it was the universe that was like, you two need to get together because you're gonna this amazing child needs you as parents because we have an amazing, amazing daughter. And um, I really think it was like, we need the two of you to 
make this happen because you're the vehicle for that. But yeah, no, that it was crazy. I mean, it was like literally being in New Delhi and walking around like on, you know, kind of a funny movie where you walk around the corner and you bump into somebody. We did that and then met um, up in the mountains one time randomly, which is just like, yeah, how is it possible? Such incredibly distant places. Um, and it was generally, you know, I was going out, he was coming in kind of saying, Oh, Hey, you again, we'll see you <laughs> soon. Um, yeah. That's an amazing, uh, how you met story. So I did, I wasn't expecting that as well. That's I've just got a big smile on my face. That, that was lovely. What, what's, <laughs> what's your, uh, what's your daughter's name? Ocean. Ocean. Is she, uh, is she as passionate as Frenchie or is she off on her own travels in her own direction? No, she's a totally uh, different focus. Um, she just uh, finished her master's degree in um, peace building, and she does um, kind of humanitarian uh, uh, support work. So in in her own way, still following in Frenchie's footsteps with, with changing the world? Yeah, 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 in a, in a younger generation uh, way, exactly. That's amazing. So when did they, when did Frenchie move over to California? So we came here about 20 years ago in the, you know, kind of early 2000s. Yeah. And it's just been home ever since. Yeah. Well, you know, um, because we had the really great legalization law, you know, for um, medical use here in California, it was a great fit. And, you know, um, making friends and working with the farmers up north was, was, you know, so enriching for, for Frenchie and, um, uh, again, just sharing his knowledge with a new generation, having his apprentice, you know, um, he, he has two apprentices, one, um, who goes by the name of Cherry Blossom Bell, lived with us for a number of years and worked with him side by side for seven or eight years. And now she's off on her own working uh, for um, a facility, running a facility in Northern California and doing amazing work. And then before his passing, he had recently started working with a new apprentice, again, somebody that he had known for a long time, a woman who... Um, has the Instagram Canna M Gardens, and um, she's also studied with Frenchie um, and does uh, again amazing work. And she's working with Northern California farmers too. Um, we were doing workshops for a number of years, and so literally thousands of people have have studied with Frenchie, and many of the big hash making companies in California have somebody on their staff who, you know, studied with Frenchie. So I think that aspect of his legacy of being able to pass, pass on these kind of ideas around looking at the process of what you're doing, understanding that you're sieving and that as sieving, you know, you need to really consider how you're using these tools. Um, and then thinking also about all the various ways that this concentrate can be manipulated. And I think young people have taken that and really just run with it with all of the 
new work around, you know, making the rosins and all of the, the different concentrates that, that are out there. And then also Frenchie did studies, has started studies on what happens when you age hashish because he was exposed to aged hashish in um, Nepal. Mm. Somebody there shared a 12-year-old Royal Nepalese temple ball with him. And so that always stuck in the back of his mind that the terpenes are, in a way, a magical element that the, the hashishin, the hash maker, can manipulate to a degree through aging and, and you know other manufacturing processes to kind of create a special signature to what they, they bring to the table, what they offer to the consumer. Um, so, yeah, he wrote a lot about all these details in the book. So I'm really looking forward next year to uh, completing the editing around this to be able to share more of his insights. That was the one deep regret for me was I just think that um, I still had so many questions on the edits that I was doing. And every time I asked him a question, I just felt like the depth of his knowledge was there's just so much to capture. And in his writing, you know, while he goes into a lot of detail, I think it's like when you're a master at something, you don't realize how much the rest of us are blind to the understanding <laughs> that you have mastery over. So you think that in writing or in saying, expressing like, you know, this is this, that we have that same depth of understanding and we're meeting you at the same level. But, you know, obviously that wasn't the case at all. Um, so, yeah, that was my one. I kind of felt like, I had saved the manuscript from the burning, you know, uh, library at Alexandria. And I just really wanted to kind of jump back into the fire and grab a few more. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, okay, yeah. But I do have, you know, I'll have the, his apprentices will help me elaborate. And they, uh, you know, they have a, a deep understanding of, you know, what he was doing too. But yeah, young people are, uh, all those amazing young hash makers out there that he's influenced, they're just going to have to carry the torch forward and uh, share some of the details with the rest of us. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll be absolutely privileged and, and honoured to be able to pass it on like he passed it on. And you've you've answered there, my next part was to, to talk about the book. Uh, is it going to be available uh, next year, 2022? I hope, you know, I mean, I'm just starting to, to dig into, um, you know, where we had left off. We had done two iterations of the editing. And um, one of the things that's been really beneficial has been, um, you know, I mentioned we have this um, group on Facebook. It's a learning community for traditional hash making along the lines of, you know, Frenchie's teachings. And that's been very interesting because a lot of similar questions emerge um, and that's allowed me to understand, you know, areas that um, people are not under, um, getting quite correct in the, in the process in that um, on Facebook, when you do that kind of group, you can make what are called guides. And so as people are, are asking these questions and um, Frenchie helped me answer a, a great many of them over, you know, the time period, I've um, put these guides together. Right now we have a 17. Um, so I'm going to incorporate all of that information as well into the book. Um, I want to go back through, you know, a bunch of his videos on YouTube. Um, there's quite, quite a few. I even forget how many he had done. 
And there's a bunch where I interviewed him on questions that people had been asking us, or there's a couple also of Q&A sessions, live streams that we did on Instagram. I just want to make sure that I'm kind of capturing as much as I can, you know, things of interest or the, the little fine details to so people have a really good reference that they can kind of go to. You know how we have these cookbooks that cover like all the classic dishes so that when you're trying to remember, now how did you do you know, how how do you make this kind of sauce or that kind of sauce that so they'll just be able to flip it open and hopefully find the answer to be guided to making a really high quality product themselves at home. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent certain that you're going to do Frenchie proud with the editing of the book. I, I really <laughs> genuinely can't wait for it to, uh, to be released. <laughs> so as well as the book, you've been working or the, there was a documentary being made, wasn't it? And, um, so we are working on that. We've done a full blown re-edit. Um, so we, there's a documentary filmmaker, a friend of Frenchie named Jake Remington, who is a professional filmmaker who followed Frenchie around for three years. And it was the three years from the end of um, medical here in California to the beginning of the adult use when the, um, when the laws changed here. And um, he filmed also, um, he went Frenchie to um, Barcelona um, and filmed um, some parts of Spanibus. Yeah. Yeah. So he's done a full. We originally we were doing episodes, and then uh, after Frenchie's passing, we just decided to you know fine tune it a little bit more. We had been in discussion with Frenchie about the the nature of the film, and he really wanted us to focus more on this legacy of of hash making and you know kind of um, transmitting the uh, knowledge forward and a little bit about what has happened to the small farmer here in California since legalization. Um, Jake just finished this re-edit and now it's just a 90 minute minute film. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we're tweaking and fine tuning a little bit more, and then we're just going to decide how we're going to disseminate it. Frenchie was really kind of thinking we should just self publish. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. We're talking to a few, a couple groups that have larger, um, platforms, but, uh, yeah, hopefully in the not too distant future here, we'll have all of that available for everybody as well. I, I absolutely can't wait to see that as well. So fingers crossed it's soon rather than later. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, couple more sort of questions that I wanted to to get across is uh, is about Frenchie's dream goal. What was the what was the the big purpose of Frenchie's teachings and education? What was his? Did he just want to? educate as many people as possible. It was just dream. about passing on the knowledge, you know? I mean, I think there are traditional things when you look at traditional society, um, a lot of what was done before people started writing down knowledge and, you know, using uh, iPhones and text message was really modeling best practices to the next generation so that that generation could make as good a life as they have if not better. And when it comes to, because of prohibition, you know, it's amazing what a bad government policy can, how quickly a bad government policy can destroy something that's really healthy and vital to humanity, such as the cannabis plant. And we have had 
you know, since the prohibitive laws in the United States a little after the turn of the century, just this systematic decimation of cannabis culture and repression, and especially of, you know, groups that were already marginalized here. Mm. Um, so if, you know, Frenchie really talked to me a lot um, towards uh, the end about, you know, it was important that people understand that his brand, his legacy was not about selling a specific cannabis product. It was about passing on the knowledge that had been part of humanity's, you know, kind of um, knowledge library for forever, basically. Um, and that we owed so much to the people who had come before us who had a deeper connection with their environment, with the, with the plant environment that we are also part of. We, and we need to understand in a, more, in a more deep, integral way how much we are, we are part of that, especially with all the environmental changes going now on now on the planet. And to have this plant that, you know, primordially, we came from the same place. We have cellular structure that shared cellular structure that make it that it's the only plant in the whole plant kingdom that we have receptors that are custom made to, to fit and to benefit from. Um, and so, yeah, being able, being able to share that knowledge and that passion and to let people know that this is a therapeutic option for them, that this, for many people, you know, it's not a one size fits all situation, but for many people, this is a path to well-beingness, especially, I think it's a secret ingredient for people who are a little bit older, you know, to maybe learn to eat small amounts of um, hash in the morning with your coffee or tea, which is Frenchie did. Yeah. It doesn't get you profoundly stoned, but it's great for just the general body aches of, of, you know, an older body. And it's great for, you know, a lot of people on a psychological level, just a little boost of uplifting. Frenchie called it well-beingness, which I loved, loved that, you know, that, um, being able to consume this uh, cannabis concentrate hashish that that he made helped him maintain a sense of well beingness um, that was that was really great. Yeah, um, and all down to to the plant that uh, we know and love, and hopefully becomes globally accessible for medicinal and for recreational purposes. So, what I'd love to know as well is what was his vision for the future of, of cannabis. What did he, where did he see it going? Well, the original view, vision was the hope that, you know, the, the legalization, recreational legalization would allow the small farmers of Northern California to thrive and that um, ultimately, you know, the, this would become big enough that there would be um, a federal repeal of uh, cannabis as a schedule one drug, you know, that that would be totally removed because in doing so that paves the way for drug laws to be reformed throughout the world. And this would allow producing countries like Afghanistan and Lebanon and Morocco to grow this product that is a high demand product elsewhere in the world. And that would be a path 
to economic stability and, and um, you know, just so important. I mean, especially right now when we look at Afghanistan and everything the country's gone through, to be able to have, you know, to, to be able to legally manufacture this product that they, are, that they have such expertise in, I think that would be a game changer for the, for the country. Um, and that was really something that, you know, Frenchie wanted to, to see. I, the thing that's been so disappointing with legalization, when we look at the failures of, you know, Canada, so much money has been lost there. And the quality of the product that is available through their legal market, marketplace, nobody wants to buy it because it's just so inferior. Um, and the consumers know, you know, what, what good cannabis is. And similarly here in California, the market, there's been such a drive to create this inexpensive to produce cannabis that's sold at, you know, pretty exorbitant prices in the dispensaries that, again, the, the legal marketplace is not thriving. And the tax, the government's response to this recently was to increase taxes. <laughs> you know, we're having the worst, we're having the worst. The price per pound of the cannabis flour produced by the farmers in Northern California has fallen to an all-time low to the point where it's not even profitable to sell it. And the government's response to this was to recently increase taxes. You just, I think the challenge is we have too many people in positions of regulatory decision-making authority that have no clue about the plant that have maybe never smoked it, have certainly never grown it, have never talked to a small farmer, are not considering what this does to these communities where, you know, in these areas of Northern California, this plant has been the main economic provider to whole communities up there for the last 60 years. Um, yeah, so we're definitely growing, going through growing pains and I think we need people with money maybe to talk to some of the legacy producers who actually know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, there was there was a post put out and it was a really it was a really amazing post. I'm gonna try and uh, I'm gonna try and find it really quickly. The um from memory it was and you'll probably be able to remember that the, the post. Um it was done by is actually one of our friends, uh, Doctor Dot Callie Seaman, and it's an image of a couple standing with the family and a dog on a grassy verge, with looking out to the sea. And it says licensed cannabis companies, and underneath the grassy verge, uh, army people uh, with the guns and with the um, holding the whole thing up, holding the the grassy verged up, and it says legacy growers underneath. And it's just that the uh, it, she uh, Callie's uh, shared it and said that the image resonates with me so much. I've been part of the legacy market for twenty years now, and heard a lot of the bro science. And now the commercial operations have come in, and just forgetting the legacy growers that have have got it to this point where it is today. So it's to not, mm. never forget the legacy growers. And if we wanted to truly become if they if they really want the, the the profits and and it to be a global product, they need to speak to these legacy growers that have been doing it for twenty and thirty years, and that's the way forward for me. I think the challenge, though, the way 
society is structured right now, or at least business society, when it comes to big money, you know, we we do, I think we have to be realistic about the challenge of big tobacco, big alcohol, big pharma are all going to want their cut of the pie and maybe a disproportionate cut. And to a degree, the marketplace will decide how that goes or doesn't go. But when you look at something like I'm, I think of like beer, you know, for years and years, you had mass produced beer that everybody kind of went, okay, this is drinkable, whatever. But then we started having these little artisanal breweries pop out all over the place in the United States. I'm sure you guys have much. Beer is probably not a really good reference for no, you because I don't think you have the same. I, I don't know that you have the same quality of swill <laughs> that they call like. We've got brilliant swill. Know, thank I you mean, very much. <laughs> one of the big, one of the big artisanal beer companies is BrewDog. Uh, and it's yeah, I completely get the analogy. It's I completely get where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, I mean, and so I think in that when you look at like, and it it probably took years for these to have the legal rights. I'm not uh, versed on the history of um, you know that. I'll have to say that a bit more actually, but there has been this emergence and there's been this acceptance and celebration of the artisanal beer producer, and I think there would there is room within the industry for a similar structure for cannabis if they played fair. Um, when you look at, I think the biggest challenge for us in California as manufacturers has been the um, necessity in the legal environment to use a distributor and to sell through a dispensary. These are two layers of expense that we did not have back uh, when we were under the medical rules. Mm-hmm. And we you know, we paid our taxes, we sold direct to the consumer, we were able to give our farmers a very decent um, price for, you know, the product they gave us, we were able to give the consumer a, an exceptional product at a very reasonable price. And everybody, you know, everybody could live that way, everybody could breathe that way. Now in the current equation, the farmers not making any money and are losing their farms and, you know, committing suicide. And we can't, we can't work. We closed. We can't, we, you know, we weren't making any money. The people that um, had the license in the facility we were working for, they made money. The dispensaries make a ton of money. The distributors, half the time they lose the product and they still make money. Um, it's a nightmare. It's just, it's such a nightmare. Um, so I think that's, you know, part of as much as we'd love to be manufacturing and sharing our product with the end user, it became really clear to us that our time was better spent teaching other people how to be self-reliant and make their own product, make their own beautiful product for themselves and their families and their communities, because this is what, you know, in the approaching zombie apocalypse, Mm -hmm. this is what the small communities are going to need. You know, we need, we're going to need the self-reliance and you're going to need your hash maker. You're going to need the person that's going to help everybody, you know, have their well-being this because, uh, yeah, it's just getting real and we're just going to need to calm down a little bit <laughs> through our through our cannabis. I know where I'm coming to if there's a zombie apocalypse. I'm going to be getting that <laughs> plane or boat straight over to California. <laughs> 
So well, good. I'm going to need some younger hands to help with the gardening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where we'll be. The lovely warmth of California. <laughs> so, well, you know, now we've got a fire season, so the warmth is not so lovely um, for part of the year. Now, it's crazy. I mean, uh, it's really starting to concern me. We're in beginning of December, right? My plum tree has already flowered. She thinks it's full-blown spring. I just said there was no chill at all. Um, I have a guava tree in my backyard that I have never, ever, I've been in this house for 20 years, never had fruit on. This year, it's full blown with fruit. And the only difference is we haven't had winter. We haven't had fall. Um, it's been in the 70, high 70s um, wow. all last week. Yeah, it's, uh, and it rained once so far this year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, things are getting kind of crazy out there environmentally and while while we're on that subject as well the um i don't think we we speak much about it on the podcast but i know we've got a lot of listeners in america and and in california and um just on just to take this opportunity just to say uh we're always thinking about you over in the uk it's uh it's up on our news when anything uh, whenever any of those forest fires are going on or the bush fires um and we're thinking about you and if uh, if anyone's been unfortunate to lose anyone to those fires that uh, we're thinking of you as well and the only thing that we can do is to do our part for the environment because it is environmental change that's causing these these fires and so what we do no matter where you are in the world whatever you do has impacts if it might not be for you directly it, it's impacting people all over the world so just be mindful of what we're doing to the environment because like like lots of people say we treat the world as though there's two of them but there's only one. Mm, yeah. Just to sign off, what does the future hold for the Frenchie Cannoli brand? What, what, what's, what's Kimberly going to be doing moving forwards? So as we spoke, you know, I'm going to continue to focus on his books, on the movie. Bill and um, Lena, um, his apprentices and I are going to be doing some workshops. Hopefully you guys will get legalization really soon because I'm dying to bring the mm-hmm. workshop to England. It was something that, you know, we had been trying to, to organize. Um, you know, we're going to continue with the, the hash porn con- uh, contest to celebrate, you know, these emerging hash makers all over the world because that's been really so affirming to for people to share their photos and to realize Literally, people are making amazing hashish everywhere. It's, uh, you know, the the snowball of legalization is just allowing people to kind of say, I'm here, I'm here. And you just realize the community is huge. Um, and that that gives us a lot of hope for the, the future because people that can get together and smoke one and, you know, kind of acknowledge our shared humanity it just feels like maybe we can come up with some better solutions together when we've, you know, got the, the plant to unite us like that. That would be amazing. And I will be number one on your list to have uh, the <laughs> seminars and the classes when you can come over to the UK. <laughs> so look, We look forward to it. It would be amazing. So look, the, I'd like to sign off just by saying that there's, there's a saying that legends never die. And I believe that Frenchie fits his status and his brand, his teachings and his legacy will, oh, will live you. on forever. So I'll never forget about <laughs> Frenchie and the time that we spent. Uh, it, it just even though it was such a small amount of time, he had a massive impact on me 
and I can only imagine the impact he's had on the world and as well from myself and sort of on behalf of our listeners uh, thank you for keeping it going and keeping the the Frenchy cannoli legacy alive and his teachings alive it's it's you're doing amazing things for the plant oh thank you thank you thank you for having me today it's been a genuinely been my pleasure to be able to have you on so to sign off can you tell us what I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot now but what was Frenchy's favorite song and we'll sign off with with his song um so it's Arrested Development, and I think it's the title is Searching for Religion. Yeah. Have you seen the clip of him dancing? Yes, I have, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's what I would say. So yeah. Arrested Development, Searching for Religion. Okay, so what we're going to do is on the uh, when it's Coatsy gets to uh, produce this, um, he's going to pour Arrested Development, and I'll send him the song and on the podcast uh, we're going to sign off and that song will play in a minute. And once again, Kimberly, thank you very much for joining us. And I can't wait to uh, hopefully see you in the UK very soon. Me too. Take care then. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.